In fact, another interesting note, Ethan Hawke's not even the second build. Robert yeah. Sean Leonard is. He's the third build. The yeah. third Ethan Hawke gets no love. He's the third build, <laughs> and it's his film. Ethan Hawke, if you ever hear this, you are the lead, my friend. Yes. You are the lead in Dead Poets Society, and you are the lead in Training Day. You should have got above the title on both of those. You should have got above Robin and above Denzel on both of those posters. But, of course, alas, that would never happen to producers. They would never allow that. Yeah. And you, sir, have been have... like, who's this kid? <laughs> <laughs> you, sir, have been screwed because you are the best actor. You are the lead in those. And and they're your films, and they were robbed of you. And hopefully, thankfully, people like me can see your greatness as the lead in both of these films. And I know that the screenwriters somewhere are saying, yes, of course, finally somebody gets it. But that that's my that's why I wanted to do an Ethan Hawke day, to show my love and appreciation for the guy that keeps getting noted as a supporting role in films that are obviously his. Well, you are listening to the Silver Screen Happy Hour. I'm Chris Wiegand, along with my brother Jerome, who is a screenwriter and graduate of Columbia College, Chicago. This is the show where we like to pair tasty adult beverages with a couple of movies that have a similar theme. So we encourage you to grab a drink and join us, unless, of course, you're driving, then you get to be our designated driver. <laughs> We've called this episode Ethan Hawk Day. So I'm going to get the recording of the show on our film reel, and then we're going to jump right in. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Silver Screen Happy Hour. I have really been looking forward to this episode, Jared. We decided to take, what, two Ethan Hawke movies. What, what are those movies, Jerome? Today we're going to compare and contrast script structure and Ethan Hawke's role specifically yeah. in the 1989 Dead Poets Society mm-hmm. and Training 2000, Day, which... 2001, I think? 2001, yes. 2001 Training Day. Yeah. So, yeah, we might call it Ethan Hawke Day. Let's see. <laughs> Dead Poets Day? I don't know. Anyway, I so I had, I told Jerome I had never seen Training Day. And so I was you know looking forward to it. I, I can't believe I'd never seen it. It's just one of those movies when it came out. My, I had babies, and I didn't watch a lot of good movies. <laughs> I watched a lot of Disney movies. <laughs> a lot of Pixar, I think. That's understandable. So, yeah, but no, I enjoyed it, so I can't wait to jump into it. So, which one do you want to tackle first? I, I, I know what I would want to do first. I just wanted to see what you want to do first. I want to do Dead Poet Society first. Really? Okay. But you want to do Training well, Day first? Well, I just training? know. I think I have a lot more to say about the uh, Dead Poets, but that's okay. We can just no, jump no, no, in. No, let's actually start with Training Day, and I'll tell you why. Okay. So. My drink of choice today. This is a real oh, treat. Yeah, let's get I'm to that. So, I'm so excited about this. All right, I've been waiting for this. So in the movie Training Day, again, this is that part where we tell you guys if you haven't seen, go watch the trailers, so you know what what it's about. So we're talking about. But it's been 22 years since Training Day, and uh, what four 30 years since Dead Poets Society. So if we discuss Not 40. What did I say? I said 30, didn't I? 30? I, said, I thought you said 40. That's all right. It'd be almost 40, isn't it? It's like 35? Oh, yeah, I'm getting old. 34? 34 <laughs> years? Jesus, we're getting old. So if we discuss endings, particularly uh, Dead Poet Society ending, because it's real pertinent to what we're going to talk about, 
if you haven't seen it by now, yeah, sorry. But, but pause it and go rent it or something. Yeah, I mean, come yeah. On, pause man. the show, go watch it, and then come back and listen to us. It was. But I don't anyway. know if it's still on sale. It was. It was like seven bucks to buy it on Amazon. You Prime. can stream it, but it's a rental. It's like three ninety nine to rent yeah. it on on streaming. Yeah. But so, oh, I'm talking about Dead Poets. You're talking about Training Day, right? No, I was talking about Dead Poets oh, as well. Okay, but but let's. Cycle back to Training Day. Yeah. So in Training Day, there's a scene where Denzel goes to see his buddy Scott Glenn, right? And he says, "You mind if I have some of your three hundred dollar bottle of you know, stuff?" <laughs> I don't know what it is they're drinking, but in honor of that, you have a three hundred dollar bottle of scotch. No, but I did. I am bringing out the special oh. blue label Johnny Ooh, Walker yeah. Blue. For those of you that are listening that are scotch drinkers, you know how beautiful this is. Oh my it's gosh. a it's a good two hundred dollar bottle. I've never that you, had that. I'm a little you jealous. Can, you can get from like Costco or Sam's Club or somewhere for Oh yeah, like you got the a, the beast bottle. A dollar eighty. <laughs> yes. This I am not drinking all this today. I would die. Oh yeah. So I am just going to have a small glass. I can't even have a big glass of this because it's that crazy. So while I get this bad boy opened up because it's brand new, I haven't even taken this this uh, this top off yet. You tell me what you're drinking. Sure. So in honor of Dead Poet Society. I was familiar with a beer out of New Holland or Holland New Holland Brewing Company called The Poet American Oatmeal Stout and I already know it's delicious but we're going to do the you opening in the pour. Yeah, let me go ahead and it's in a can. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, that was Let's nice. I'm going a little heavy on the pour. Oh my. Oh man. Better slow it down. There's a Thick head. Oh man, that's in, filthy. Two inch head right there. Yeah, that's filthy. That's You're said. filthy. That's <laughs> dirty, dirty. Three inch. Holy. Dirty, God. dirty. <laughs> oh, hold on. Anyone that's listened to more than one of our oh, podcasts yeah. could tell you how much we sexualize the drinking part. That would be you, Jerome. <laughs> oh, I don't know. You over here with your two inches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So my turn now. Oh, yeah, I don't know if good. you'll catch this. I don't know if you'll catch this on the microphone. I'm going to take the top off. You ready? <laughs> yeah. Almost blew my eardrums out. <laughs> Sorry. That was a good one. Now, because it's Johnny Blue, yeah. and again, for those of you listening who are scotch drinkers, you know I cannot put this on ice. It's an abomination to put this on ice because you're bleeding it. You're bleeding water into a $200 bottle. And this is too good as gosh. I you disagree, have to drink this. but you ha- go on. You have to drink this neat. So here I'm going to pour a little bit. Oh, yeah. That's a nice Did you even shot. get See, yeah, I can't yeah. even do a full glass of it. It's got to be like, yeah. you know, otherwise by the end of the show, I'm going to be like slurring. I'm going to be like, you remember Stallone? And you're going to be like, it's Ethan Hawke. And I'll be like, whatever, whatever. <laughs> so I disagree right. with you on putting ice or water in there. I've actually heard people that like know their wine their whiskey tasters and all that i forget what you call them i know wine tasters are sommeliers right but they'll tell you that by by cutting it a little bit with water it does something with the flavor it's supposed to help you enjoy the flavor more so that's i know i know i know and so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna you know argue with you especially with an expensive (laughs) bottle but i have heard that before now i have used rocks on a lot of different drinks, you know that. Mm-hmm. I just can't with blue. I, I would I would 
I would feel so guilty. Also, for those of you that know me so well by listening to these podcasts, you know that when this glass is done, I will bring out the cheap-ass cold cans of beer, <laughs> in which I will take great light cracking open in front of this microphone. Yeah. All right, here we go. Yeah, let's, let's talk movies. In. Let's talk movies. There we go. Okay, let's start with Training Day then. Yeah. First of all, you said you hadn't seen it before, and you finally watched it for the first time. Yeah. What'd you think? What'd you think? I I loved it. Obviously, it's it's about Ethan Hawke's first day on his new new job assignment. What was his title? Do you remember what his title was? I mean, he was he was joining Denzel Washington, who we find out is a corrupt cop, undercover detective type cop, right? He was yeah, all, it's, they were all, they weren't they weren't patrol cops is what I'm trying to no, get at. No, no, it it's it appears to me a lot like the strike team on the show The Shield. I don't know if you ever watched that. They come mm. off to me as like an anti-gang unit, anti-drugs, narcotics officers is what they are. Right. They're undercover narcotics officers for the Los Angeles Police Department and this is Ethan Hawke's first day on the job and of course the squad leader is Denzel Washington in his Oscar-winning performance best actor. Ethan Hawke was nominated for best supporting actor though did not win. And then and it's it's all takes place in one day and it is of course by the title Training Day. Yep. So, why did we decide to have an Ethan Hawke day? <laughs> what prompted this? You tell me. Okay. Jerome, so, actually I, was, I, I know you you told me why <laughs> you did it, but let's, let's tell everyone else. So, so first of all, I got to tell you I have a special love for Ethan Hawke, not just because I think his movies are great. But he's got this knack for being the supporting role in films where he's actually the lead. Mm -hmm. And I think he gets no justice sometimes. And that's why I picked these two movies, because my argument today will try to prove to you, all you writers out there and movie lovers and movie watchers, that Ethan Hawke is actually the lead in both of these films. Now, Robin Williams and Denzel Washington, respectively, were both nominated for Best Actor for their films. Denzel won. Robin Williams lost, but they were both above the title. What I mean by that, those of you in the film industry know what I'm talking about. On the poster, they'll have the title of the movie, right? Above the title means you're the number one person. You are mm -hmm. the star. Your name is above the title, and everybody else's name is below the title. Right. Generally, your supporting roles will be at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And my argument is that Robin Williams and Denzel are the stars of these films, but they're not the lead. And as from a screenwriter's point of view, my argument today, and you, your job will be to talk me out of it, is that Ethan Hawke is the lead. So and I am going to argue differently. I am going to argue with you at least on Dead Poets. I'm going to I'm going to defend Mr. Keating. I'm going to defend his honor. I'm going to get on my desk. And no, say, no, oh. he, <laughs> no, he what? doesn't get on the desk at the end. He. Who? Robin Robin Williams doesn't no, get on the doesn't. desk. No, he doesn't. I'm going to get on my desk and defend oh. his honor. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Okay. Because I, I so let's I'll get into that one. All right, let's start we, with training day. <laughs> I think you have a better case for training day. However, anyways, go ahead and let's talk about it. Now, cuz I am <laughs> I'm, I'm eager to argue with you about it a little bit. Okay. So. Good. And I have I have not only major points I I will put to to secure my case, but I also have the nail in the coffin at the end that will just destroy any argument you have. Mm. But before we get to that, so training day, right? So 
This this is to me an obvious one, only because the film starts and ends with Ethan Hawke, right? So what do we always talk about in script structure? We talk about theme in the first few minutes of the script, and then the character's growth and their journey, right? Mm-hmm. So did you pinpoint what you thought might be the theme when watching Training Day? What struck you as a possible line of dialogue that is said to, in my opinion, the main character Yeah. So in the beginning? Because I only watched it the one time, I was hoping to get some time to kind of skim through it again, looking for those lines and stuff. I can't remember okay. a, a specific line. So if you if you've got some, I'm, it's I'm okay. just bring it to me because I I'll it'll really I have refresh the, my memory because I just watched it recently. I have the answers to the test. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so the wife in the opening scene, right? He gets up. Yeah. And he's getting ready. Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke is. Yeah. Of course, he's the lead. Right. So he's getting dressed. <laughs> he's getting dressed. <laughs> and and his wife says to him. Something about this is a huge opportunity, but she says, don't screw this up. She says that specifically, don't screw this up. And why I take that as the theme is because, remember, the theme isn't just whether or not they reach their tangible or spiritual goal. It is, but it's also that that emotional tug of war throughout the film, right? Okay, yeah. And if you watch Training Day, it's, again, one of those tug push and pull things where half the scenes Denzel loves him and the other half of the scenes Denzel hates him. Yeah. Right. Half the time he's screwing it up, quote unquote, and the other half he's he's winning. He's doing the job. Yeah. Right. And they the made art- it real obvious the his, him having his moral dilemma crisis throughout the movie. It's like absolutely. He's like he, yeah, he would struggle, and then he would like, okay, I guess this is this is crazy, but I guess this is the way it is. Right. And then he would go out go along with it. Until until he reached a breaking point. Well, not even the breaking point. Throughout the film, there's times where he tries to push back. Yeah. And those are the times that Denzel gets pissed. Yeah. And he gets mad at him, and he's screwing this up. If you want to be a part of my unit, you're going to do what I say. Half the time, he does. He just does it. Says, okay, I'll do it. I'll go along with this if this is how it is. So half the time, so it's that, and it's, again, we talked about this before, it's almost every other scene, right? Right, right. It's that back and forth, back and forth, which rising tension. You're you're starting to get a little bit close to the, my, my nail in the coffin point, but when you said something, when you said he has this moral dilemma. Who doesn't have a moral dilemma at all in the film? Denzel. Denzel. Yeah. Right? This isn't a journey for Denzel. Right. This is Ethan Hawke's journey. Yeah. Right? Totally um, right. Yeah, totally. So uh, I would say that the first the first real jump to act two, when he first realizes that the world I'm in is not what I expected, is when they're stopped in the middle of the intersection, gun to his head, Denzel's telling him to smoke crack, right? <laughs> so at that point, that you, know, scene, by the way. you know, and it's 17 <laughs> minutes in. It's a little early for a first turning point. But in a film like this, you know you got to get to that second act, and you know it's the second act when you're all of a sudden in a, in no man's land, right? You're you're in a world you weren't expecting. It's completely yeah. different from the first act. So in the past, haven't you usually said it was the halfway point that that would happen? No, 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 not the first turning oh, point. Yeah, no, okay, yeah. The, yeah, right. so the first turning point jumps you from Act 1 to Act, act 2. Act 1 to Act 2, sure. Right. So midpoint scene is generally where you kind of get your tangible goal, what you think you want, right? Yeah. So what does Ethan Hawke want? He wants to be part of the yeah. team. Yeah, and I, I did go back and look at what was the midpoint scene, and that's where he stood up to him after he 
after Denzel murdered his buddy or whatever that guy's role was. Was he a former cop? The guy that he killed? Scott Glenn? Yeah. What was so he? So the, mid, the midpoint scene. Uh, that was the was, midpoint scene. It was actually, actually the midpoint scene is right before that. If well, you look it's at close. the- it's it's here's what you're doing. You're you're taking account credits. I always find oh, out when the credits start, okay. yeah. where it says directed by. That to me is the end of the film, yeah. and that's to me the minutes. Okay. So then if you go back and look at the midpoint scene, it's actually before that, and it's when he, Denzel meets with the three wise men because he's buying the oh. warrant to crash Roger's place. Yeah. Roger's an old war buddy. It's obvious that they were in Vietnam together. To me, that's what I got, and maybe not even they were in Vietnam together. But they were both in Vietnam, yeah. and there's a brotherhood there, right? Yeah. Even if they didn't know each other in Vietnam. In fact, if they knew each other, I don't think any of this stuff goes down the way it did, right? Right. Because he talks about later how he talks about how, you know, I've watched that, you know, guy operate with impunity for 10 years, and now I got him, right? He's, you know, this is, che- this is chess, not checkers. So he's been playing this for 10 years, knowing that eventually a day would come and he was going to rob his ass. Hmm. So so it's obvious to me that they were both in Vietnam, and there's that brotherhood there. That's why they talk to each other the way they do. Yeah. But I don't think they were in the military together. That would be too close of a bond, I think, for either of them to break. But so getting back to Ethan Hawke's tangible goal is to be a part of the team. And at right. that moment, he feels like he is, right? Because they go to meet with all the other guys in Denzel's crew on yeah. their rooftop. And he was in the room. He's there. Yeah, he was he in the was room there. to see the three wise men. That's what I mean, yeah. Right. And he was now included. He's part of the group. You are going with us on this raid. So he has what he thinks he wanted, which is his tangible goal. I want to make this. I want to be part of the team. But that's not his spiritual goal. Right? Right. right. We all know, come the ending, what his spiritual goal, <clears throat> what he did not know he needed, was to not be a part of the team, but to bring the whole thing down right right to be the hero that he didn't even know he needed to be to take down the most corrupt cop in la police department right yep, yep. so we all know what the all is lost scene is right that's where you feel like i've lost everything everything is over and it's when he gets dumped with the mexicans <laughs> in that apartment denzel sends him there to kill him yeah right? i love that scene and one of the guys that one of the actors i noted it was tuco from yeah, breaking bad from breaking bad tuco. <laughs> i yep. love tuco and, and the main guy cliff curtis i love cliff curtis because he can play any role he's got that look he's got that face and that mustache where he can play a mexican i've seen him play arab i've seen him play italian yeah. i've seen him play egyptian like anything it does, he can do anything like he's just he can play a white dude like it doesn't matter like he's just got that look that he can do anything and and that scene well those guys i don't know play, that anyone any, just any actor could do that No, that says a lot about his ability. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so, yeah. So that's a great scene. And and talk about the tension in that scene where, you you know, he's dead. He's dead. Right. There's no way there's no way you're getting out of this. And they even show what I love about the start of that scene is he tries to fight his way out. He hits the one guy and he tries to get out of there. Right. And and reality in an action film, he would get out of it. Right. But this isn't an action film. This isn't fantasy land. This is reality where those guys drag him into the tub. To kill him. And they're, and they're going to blow his brains out with a <laughs> shotgun. So, and then the whole thing with finding the, the cousin's wallet. Yeah. And it's just so, yeah. it's such a great scene. And that was kind of cool because he, so 
for those who hadn't seen it earlier in the movie, early, very early in the movie, he saves a, a teenage girl from being raped in an alley. And, and as she runs away, he finds her wallet and he puts it in his pocket. Well, and it was funny because in that scene, it was part of that tug of war where his partner didn't want to stop, but yeah. he wanted to be, he wanted to be the moral guy and do, you know, that's why he signed up to be a cop. He wanted to do shit like this. He wanted to help people. Yep. And so he was, you know, doing what he felt he needed to do to care of business and save the girl. Mm-hmm. And he puts the wallet in his in his pocket, and I forgot about it. And that was kind of a, a clever tool for, you know, just That's planning what they it call there. Yeah, in screenwriting, set up and payoff. Yeah, you do something early in the film that you know the audience is going to forget about. Right. And right. then later it comes out, you're like, oh, I forgot about yeah. that damn when little he's in pink the t- wallet. Yeah, when he's in the tub, and I'm like, oh, he's toast. They're going to kill yeah. his ass. How's he going to get out? He of already this? punched him. <laughs> yeah. they're going to wax him. Yeah, he's he's done. How is he going to get out of this? Yeah, right. Yeah. I remember seeing that film in the theater, and I'm in there going, "He's well, dead." Yeah, I, I guess I this won't. is how it's going to end. Weird. Right. Well, I remember thinking he can't <laughs> die because he's Ethan Hawke, and I remember thinking I'm going to be disappointed because somehow he's going to get out of this, and it's going to be stupid. But when that pink wallet comes out of his pocket, I was like, "Oh, oh, yeah. oh how did I not see that coming?" <laughs> oh, they saw, they saw, they blindsided me, yeah. and and sure enough, it all plays out. And it's so great. And I love at the end of that scene, Cliff Curtis is looking at him eye to eye and he says, you know, this shit was just business, right? You know that, right? And he's and he just he barely can get a nod out of it because, you know, that his right. The anxiety has probably left all soul of his body is gone. Like he's just he's barely got enough energy <laughs> right. to say yes. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> because he's so drained at that point. But as we talk about when you get to that all is lost scene. That's how they figure out the act, what they're, what's going to catapult them into Act Three, right? And there's always that moment that you know, again, the old great screenwriting guru Blake Snyder used to call the Dark Knight of the Soul, mm. where it's that moment between the All Is Lost and the jump to Act Three, where the main character has to decide, what am I going to do to finish this, right? Mm-hmm. Or do I do anything? You know, and for him, that scene is the bus. He's on the bus all alone. And you're thinking, he could go home. He could go home and say, you know what, I'm going to go in tomorrow and quit. Or I'm going to go in tomorrow and say, this is all everything that happened. I could tell on everybody. I could do all these things. But he's like, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to go get that son of a bitch first. <laughs> because he was going to have me killed and I have a little girl. Right. Right? So, and he know, and he almost, he's, it's almost like a decision he's, he's, he can't make. He's forced to do only one thing because of that. He knows Denzel knows who he is. He knows Denzel knows he has a family. He has a kid. Right. He's not leaving anything to chance. I have a grim thing that I'm going to throw in at the end here, but before I get to that. Yeah. So he goes to fulfill his spiritual goal of taking down Denzel, right? And that's and that's him achieving his spiritual goal, and that's the end of the film. Uh-huh. And it ends with him going home. Two things. Another thing that solidifies him being the lead and Denzel is actually the supporting role is we talk about the journey and the lesson that they learned. He obviously learned a very big lesson because throughout the film, he's acting, I didn't know it was like this. Mm-hmm. you know. And at one point, he even says, I'll go back and issue tickets as a patrolman again. I don't want to do this shit. Right? Right, right, right. He He is learning the real shit of society. And he learns the le- the lesson he learns is that he has to become as bad as they are to take them down. 
And it's a line that Denzel says earlier in the film, to be a, to catch the wolf, you have to be the wolf. Right. Yeah. Right. That's a little foreshadowing. And, and it is because he's telling him what he's going to have to do <laughs> yeah. to take me. If you're going to take me and he even says Godzilla ain't got shit on me. So he's telling him, you want somebody as bad as me. You got to be as bad as me. Mm-hmm. Right. So he fulfills that. And that's his lesson. What here's my nail in the coffin on the point that he's the lead. Tell me, what lesson did Denzel learn at all in this film? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. He is the same as he is at the end that he was at the beginning. Yeah. Right? Still thinking that his shit don't stink and he's the boss and he can get away with anything. Yeah. And he can't. And he can't. So I guess if there is a lesson to be learned, it's that he finds out he's wrong. That's not a lesson. That's not a journey coming to self-discovery. Right? Right. So he doesn't learn a damn thing. So here's the grim thing I was going to throw on the end here. Different from Dead Poet Society's ending. What do you think happens to Officer Hoyt or, you know, Detective Hoyt when all this is over? What do you mean? What What do you think happens? I don't know. He's got the money. He's going to go in the next day, presumably to the IA's department, and say, I know you scraped his dead body off the ground last night, riddled with Russian bullet holes, but there's more to it. Here's the money he stole from Roger. Everybody in his unit is corrupt. I'm going to make a report, and I'm going to take them all down. What the hell do you think is going to happen to Hoyt after that? (laughs) Right? Same thing that happened to Serpico. He's going to get shot in the face. (laughs) Like, like there's cops don't, as dirty as cops might be, the one thing they don't like is you ratting on other cops. So that, that was one thing I didn't like about the way it ended. It, so that's, so I like the movie, but. There's a couple things there at the end. I felt like it was just loose ends. That's you know the I mean? biggest loose end that you can think of is, yeah. this isn't over for him. Well, there is also, like, there is the scene where Denzel was basically surrounded by the people in that, that housing project, you know. Right. And, yeah. uh, and I'm One of like, them was Terry Crews, by the way. And I was like, yeah, and i like, okay, they're, they're, they're going to kill him here. They didn't show how that ended. He just next scene they show him walking down the street. So ah oh, okay they let him go. That was weird. It looked like they were gonna kill him, but they didn't. People started it, leaving one at a time, and then it was like so you could tell he lost his power there. Denzel yes. did, but but anyways I thought they were gonna kill him. They didn't. They let him go, and then the Russians come and get him. So it's like yeah okay that's all right. It's just it just seemed like a writing. Like a little bit of a writing hole, maybe they an editing thing. They just, I don't know. It well, looked a little choppy and, to me. And I can understand why they probably thought, you know what, for justice, the Russians have to be the ones to kill him. Yeah. Right. It has to be. Yeah. Although, it, although it's more poetic that the streets would have gotten him. Mm. They wanted to show that the Russians got him. But here's how I would have fixed it. As hokey as this might have been, it might have saved Hoyt's life. For the record, for those of you who haven't seen it, Hoyt doesn't die in the film, <laughs> but I am assuming that he's going to because of what he's about to do. I, You could have fixed this by them killing him, right, on the street. Mm-hmm. Those, those guys, the street justice, they kill Alonzo. And then the Russians take out the rest of his gang, mm. the rest of his corrupt. Dr. Dre is one of them, right? Peter Green. You know, you've seen Peter Green before. He's Zed in, in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I don't know how you would have made that flow, how it how it works. That would be up to the director. And 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 they would probably say, nah, this sucks. Let's not do that. Yeah. You know, but but at least it would have gotten Hoyt almost off scot-free 
to where there's nobody hunting him now. But you know those other guys are all going to hunt him now. Right, right. Right? That's why because there wasn't a sequel. <laughs> right, right. There is. A, well, there might have been a straight-to-video. I don't know. But, but that's the point is he is not just taking down Denzel, who's already dead by the time this movie's ending, but he's going to take down the whole crew. You know, he's ratting all those guys out. Yeah. Right? So it's just a little grim thing of what do you think happens next? And I think poor Officer Hoyt's going to find his end pretty soon <laughs> right. after that. But that's a little a little, little grim after the credits thought. But yeah. all, all in all. As I say, before we move on, it was cool seeing Snoop Dogg Doug, as a... As a I, I, don't, I don't think you know how many people were in that film. Oh, I, I do. I don't know how, I mean, how into R&B you are, but... I was uh, surprised. For some reason, it didn't click. I knew she looked familiar, but Macy Gray. Macy Gray. Sandman's wife, yeah. Yep, Macy Gray. Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre is one of his group. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, a, yep, yep. <laughs> there's yeah, a few was, cameos yeah. in there. No, it was, it was cool. Good cast. Definitely a good cast. So, did I at least prove my point that he is the supporting role in this film? Yeah, I totally bought that. So, and, you know, like you said, and and I see your case for the next film we're going to talk about because a lot of the same things apply to Ethan Hawke in, the, in, the, in Dead Poets Society. Ethan Hawke who gets no love. Well, and you're right, because if you, if you want to jump right into it, Ethan Hawke, it, the movie does kind of start and end with him, right? Yes. Because yep. he's the, I think he's the last shot that you see his he face is the last shot yeah yeah it in uh, dead poets so the thing if you you, you want to jump into it yeah let's let's get into let's do it since this one's older we may have to do a little bit of a recap for those of go you ahead. who haven't yeah, seen yeah go it. ahead and so give a good recap this, about dead this poets is a, society so the walton i believe it's called the walton academy is is a prep school for high schoolers, basically, right? It's a college preparatory school, but it's, it's. I think they didn't they have younger classes because I remember seeing younger boys. Yeah, like, well, like scenes. a high school, like a high school. There's like freshmen and sophomores and juniors. No, these were seniors. really young kids. There were some scenes with really young kids, and I thought maybe they had, had a separate like grade school too. If they may have, I don't think they elaborated on it, or it could just be those are the real gifted kids, right? Because this is supposed to be a school for smart ass kids, right, right? right? The ones that are going to go to Harvard, right? That's the whole right. point. These and kids are takes, all going to Harvard. It takes place like in the 50s? 40s or 50s, something like that, yeah. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Something like that. So it's an older, it's a, it's sort of a period film a, a, a bit. But so what it is, is this, there's an opening in the English department and John Keating is a professor who comes who had been working in London. He's an American who was working in London. He comes back to the New England area, I want to say it is. And he takes over to teach English, specifically literature and poetry, at this school to prepare these kids for college. The biggest mishmash is that he's into original thinking and being your own person and breaking of conformity. And, of course, the headmaster and everybody, every other teacher in the school is like, what are you doing? Oh, my God. Like, you can't tell a 17-year-old he can do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. Like, it's we Think believe in tradition. Yes. We, I mean, right off the bat, the movie opens with this big assembly and they nail down the four pillars, tradition, honor, discipline, Excellence. These right. are, this is the motto for the school. And that's the so opening scene, yeah. That's the opening scene. They're nailing down already that this is how this school is. Now, you could say that John Keating does make an appearance before Ethan Hawke, but it's only in, as an introduction. Like, hey, we have a new teacher with us. And he smiles and shakes his head, you know, nods his head and everybody claps or whatever. We have a new right. teacher. But he doesn't speak. He has no speaking part in that shot. Ethan Hawke's character, however, 
as the assembly is closing out, it's the opening scene for him, mm-hmm. he meets the headmaster, or the headmaster already knows who he is because his brother went there, right? His brother was a big... Yeah, he's a valedictorian a, yeah, of his a class. Big, exactly, a big who's who in that school. Yep. And here comes the theme. What does the headmaster say? And it's almost... You know what? I actually wrote this down. Four minutes and 57 seconds in. It's almost exactly five minutes. We talk about the theme being dedicated in the first five minutes. This is what the headmaster says to him, and I quote, You have some big shoes to fill, young man. Your brother was one of our finest. Yeah. Think about that for a second. And you know how the movie ends, right? Yeah. Okay. So so right off the bat, five minutes in, he gives this, this sort of theme, right? So... Once again, we start doing the back and forth, right? Is he going to be filling his brother's shoes? Is he not? Is he going to be an important member? Is he not? His tangible goal is an obvious one. He wants to be accepted within the group, right? He's so shy. He can't break out of his shell, right? He wants to be part of the group. The first turning point that I saw is Neil his friend. And by the way, we're going to get to this a little bit later. God, I I love the dynamic. This is such a fantastic screenplay. Tom Shulman wrote the script and he won best screenplay for this. And it's so, when I watch this film, they should really teach this in film school because this, this, it's so perfect the way he wrote all this out. But Neil, and I'm sure a lot of this, by the way, has to do with Peter Weir, the director. Now, you know, Peter Weir, we've talked about him before. He did Witness and Mosquito Coast. Yeah. He's the, he's the director of Dead Poets Society. So you know that, obviously, it takes a great director to bring out the great elements of a screenplay and put them on film. So we're going to give credit to Peter Weir as, as well, but the script is so fantastic. But Neil discovers the Dead Poets Society, right? Yeah, that, yeah, to yeah. me, is, is the transition to Act Two. Another co- side point, I made a note here that's a little creepy. Before we get to that, the very first class they have with Keating, he drags all the boys down and starts showing them the pictures of all the previous people, right? Right, right. That are long since dead, right? When he says, and I quote, I wrote this down, he says, someday we'll all stop breathing and die. When he says that, the camera is on Robert Sean Leonard. Oh, wow. I didn't catch that. Yeah, but anyway, I just thought that was creepy. And then, so so they discover the Dead Poets Society, and Neil is starting to prod Todd, who's Ethan Hawke. And he's hesitant, but he relents, right? That's, yeah. that's he makes the decision to go. They always say you can't force somebody into Act 2. They have to do it willingly, right? And although he's pr- he doesn't feel like he wants to be a part of it, he does make the decision. Ethan Hawke does. Mm-hmm. He makes the decision to go along and be a part of this Dead Poet Society because he wants so badly to be accepted as part of the group. Right. Right? I don't know if you looked at minutes again. What would you say was the midpoint scene? It's about an hour into a two-hour film. Hang on a second. This is for you. <laughs> now, for those of you, like I said, you heard at the beginning, I am now cracking into the beer because if I keep going with this scotch, it's going to be a blubbery show. Yeah, I'm going to open my second poet. Oh, man. Was so what was the midpoint scene? I thought I wrote it down, but I didn't. So I have, it's the yawp scene, right? Oh, where, he's getting uh, his voice. Yeah, where he's he writes. Him how to how to he, find his voice. And he writes Walt Whitman's name on the thing. The reason why that's so important is leading up to that, he's trying to write poetry, but he's shy. He doesn't want to read in front of the class. Blah, 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 blah. 
and Robin Williams forces him out of his shell. He forces him to stand up, and he does the whole thing from Walt Whitman about, I, I will yell my barbaric yelp over the hilltops or whatever, you know, whatever yeah. it is. And he keeps pressing and pressing and pressing, and he's forcing him <clears throat> to do poetry. Right. And what happens, he actually <clears throat> gives a great yeah. line of poetry straight out of his head. Yep. And right when it's done, as everyone's cheering, Robin Williams grabs him by the head and goes, don't forget this. Yeah. And it's so like that yeah. to me is he's achieved. He's now part of the group. Right. He achieved his tangible goal. OK. Yeah. Now, we all know what happens in the second act or the second half of the second act. Right. Well, not um, everybody. If you haven't seen it, you should probably pause. Go watch the movie right now because <laughs> it, it gets it gets rough. It does. So here's where you would have a, a more of a solid argument on why Robin Williams' character, John Keating, is the lead. Because I know I, I've anticipated what I felt your argument would be. And that is the second half of the film, we deal with more than just Ethan Hawke, right? It's yeah. Knox over, over Street's attempt to woo the girl. It's yeah. Dalton's attempts to thumb his nose at, at, at authority, right? Yeah. It's it's... It's all these things. Here is my take on that, though. Are you ready? This is going to blow your mind. Every boy in the group is part of Ethan Hawke's personality. What? They're all all manifested in different people. So Knox represents the guy that wants to get the girl. Dalton represents the loud leader, right? Now, this is going to be important in a minute. This is going to be important later. Dalton... I meant to say Dalton. Did I say Knox? Knox is the one that's trying to get the girl. Dalton represents the thumbing authority, and I'm loud and bombastic, and I lead with my bravura, right? I lead with my voice. Neil is a quiet leader. Mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke even says that to him. You speak and people listen. I'm not like that. And Neil says, don't you think you could be? Yeah. And he says... I don't know, maybe, but the point is there's nothing you can do about it. He's actually dictating that I'm the one that has to do this. I'm the one that has to make this decision. If I'm going to be like you, it's got to come from here. It's got to come from me. You can't make me this. Right. Right. So Neil and Dalton represent, it's kind of like when people used to say, people used to say, (laughs) like they used to talk about all the time, in Platoon, right? Charlie Sheen, right? Willem Dafoe and Tom Berenger were like two dads to him. They were father figures. One was the passive, sort of the the liberal kind, you know, the war is bad, but we need to help these people. And Tom Berenger represented the rage, right? I will kill anybody that gets in our way. I'll protect the platoon any way I can, even if it's corrupt, mm-hmm. right? So they both served as two father figures to Charlie Sheen's central character. That's how I feel Dalton and Neil are to Ethan Hawke. They both represent leaders, but one of them's the loud leader and one of them's a quiet leader. But Ethan Hawke at this point is not a leader at all. Right. Right. And that's his spiritual goal. What he did not know he needed was to be the leader. Yeah. No, I, so, and, yeah, I get that. And so, and uh, let me tell you what I wrote down about. So I think one of the geniuses, genius things about this movie is, I mean, it's it's layered. So you could say that, you know, the theme or the, the, the story is all about Ethan Hawke's character 
He didn't have a voice. He wants a voice. He finds his voice. You know, that whole journey. But you could also argue that it's it's Robin Williams' story of... I mean, it's the story of of his... He's the, the lead protagonist in a culture war, a war of worldviews, because the... The opening scene has, like you said, the the four pillars: tradition, honor, discipline, and excellence. And then you kind of, what do you call that? Jux, jux, juxtapose. Juxtaposition. Juxtaposition. That's what it is. To the whole carpe diem scene, right, with Robin Williams, and and there is a line that he had in there, and I loved it. I wrote it down. Robin Williams was talking to the boys. He said, "We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human of the race. The human race, and the human race is filled with passion, and medicine, law, business, engineering." These are These noble, are noble pursuits. pursuits and necessary to sustain life. I know this line. <laughs> but poetry, beauty, romance, romance. love—these are what These we, are stay, what alive we stay alive for. for. Yeah, it's like, wow, yeah, you know. But you, so, but did you continue? Because the on. end of that is even better. What's the end of that? I didn't finish the quote, so oh, I didn't. The end that, of quote is the best. Well, I know he went on to quote what Whitman, right? No, but he says, that, yeah, he says the powerful play goes on, yeah. and you may contribute a verse. Yes, and then he repeats yes. the line again: "You may contribute a verse." And then he looks right at Ethan Hawke, yeah, and says, "What will your verse be?" So it's so, interesting, though. So the the those four things that Robin Williams said: poetry, beauty, romance, and love. I noted that those are four things that were lost or what Neil lost by his father's harsh words. He felt hopeless. He, he, you know, so like in the, the battle of worldviews that was going on, that was kind of the overarching theme of the movie, right? The battle of, of worldviews and, and, you know, is it tradition, honor, discipline, and excellence, or is it poetry, beauty, romance, and love? Well, you can you can approach you can hold tradition, honor, discipline, and excellence with poetry, beauty, romance, and love, but to do that without it is very cold and harsh, right? So it, it, it was it was a it was a great overarching theme to the movie, right? So yeah, so I, I wrote. I'm just looking at some of my other notes. So let's let's kind of jump a little bit forward. Yeah. To the all is lost scene. And we all know what that is, right? This is Neil's exit from the film. And it's worse, it's Todd's first real dealing with pain. Yeah. Who wakes Todd up to tell him? Dalton. Mm-hmm. Right? Because again, these are the two leaders. The quiet leader and the overarching leader. Before right? you before you go into the analysis here, I mean, yeah. let's just say it out loud what we're talking about because uh, you know even if people have seen it, you know, was Neil yes. took his own life. Yes, and it was so. It's funny because I when I saw this movie the first time, I was a teenager, so it hits you a certain way when you see a fellow teenager take his own life. Yes. We, we probably all experienced that. Lost someone we knew, teenager or adult. Or uh, feelings yourselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's so many teens that go through this feeling of, I just want to end it, right? Yeah. I got to so say, it's... watching it now, after having teenagers, yeah, it's so weighty. That whole scene just, 
it fucked me up. I was like, yeah. oh my God, man. It's it's hard. It's like when we were talking about Promising Young Woman. Yeah. You know, when you're a parent now and you watch this shit, it, it's, it's scary as fuck. So yeah, to dig a little bit deeper into that, he has the play of his life. He goes against his father's wishes and acts in a play. Yeah. He's the lead. He's Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream. Excuse me. And he nails it. Mm-hmm. Right? He nails it. Absolutely. It, it confirms his belief that this is something he could do for the rest of his life. Yeah. His father doesn't approve. He tells him, I'm going to take you out of that school. Right? Right. I'm going to go put you in a military academy where you can learn discipline because obviously you haven't learned discipline enough because I told you no and you're not listening. And blah, 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 blah. And he kills himself. Yeah. It's the way that scene is shot too. The way Peter Weir shoots that scene oh is, e- is even more haunting than the concept itself. Yeah, right. Because for the first time, the only time in that film we see anything from the father's point of view, and it's it's not from Neil's point of view at all. It ain't from Keating's or anybody else's point of view. It's the father who jumps awake in the middle of the night because he thought he heard something. Right. We as an audience don't hear anything. Right. Yeah. And I'm glad we don't because it would have been cheesy for us to hear the gunshot. Yeah. We don't. We just see him jump up. Well, and what that did in that instance, in that moment, it shifted your vantage point. You became his dad's vantage point. Yes. Because that's you what didn't I mean. hear it, but you were startled. Right. Right. Yeah. Just like he was. And you're like, oh, what happened? Exactly. And he says, what was that noise? Yeah. And the mom's like, what noise? I didn't hear yeah. anything. Yeah. But he immediately gets up. He starts going through the house. He can't find Neil. And then when he opens his study down in the basement, the first thing he does is go, <laughs> because he can smell the gunpowder, yeah. right? And then and all he see sees- see the smoke too. Yeah, from the other side of the desk, he just sees smoke coming up. We don't see any blood. We don't see him actually do it. We don't even see, for the most part, we don't even see the body. Right. The, the way Peter Weir shoots it from behind the desk, yeah. we just see the dad picking him up. Oh, yeah. And his- oh. Yeah. You know, and it's so it's so heartbreaking and the mom just can't accept it. You know what right. I mean? She just keeps saying, he's all right. He's all right. He's all right. You know what I mean? Like it's that it's that defense mechanism that people have. Right. To say everything's going to be OK when you know it's obviously not. Right. So it's a hard scene to watch. It's shot amazingly. Mm-hmm. But let's jump past this now. Yeah. And let's get back to Ethan Hawke. Dalton wakes him up in the middle of the night and tells him the bad news. So. That's the all is lost for Ethan Hawke. And it presents the jump to act three, which is how am I going to deal with this? How am I going? He's still in that dark night of the soul. He doesn't know yet how he's going to respond. And why doesn't he know? Because Dalton's still there. Yeah. That's why it's key that Dalton punches Cameron. Because his expulsion, and they do a great shot of this too. Peter Weir does a great shot of this. At the end, they show Dalton's empty seat in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To dictate, the other leader is gone now. Now, Todd Anderson has no leaders left. Yep. Neil's gone, and now Dalton's gone. So who is left to lead this group? And that's what catapults him into the, his achieving his spiritual goal. He's the first to stand up on the desk. Yeah. And even when the teacher tells he's the first to stand up. And when the teacher tells him to sit down, he does sit down. But then that's not the end of it. He gets up on the desk, and he leads everybody else getting up, too, yeah. with the, oh, captain, my captain. And it's just an amazingly fantastic final scene. And, and here... 
here is why I say, here's why I have the nail in the coffin argument that it's Ethan Hawke's movie. He fulfills everything we just talked about. We just got done talking about the journey, right? Mm -hmm. He fulfills this journey, his tangible goal of being part of the group and his spiritual goal of leading the group. He achieves all of that. It ends on his face as the final shot. But more importantly, and this is this is what got me to really confirm this, is my nail in the coffin. He obviously learns a lot on this journey. I'm not sure John Keating learns anything that he wasn't already aware of at the beginning. Mm. Right? Because if anything... Ethan Hawke standing on that desk solidified to him that his teachings were right from the beginning. Yep. Yeah, at okay. No, at no point you does win. John... <laughs> I'm not worthy. I'm not there is, worthy. There, at, no point, at no point does John Keating stop and say, well, a kid died. Maybe I shouldn't teach this breaking of conformity stuff. No. In fact, it solidifies it. Yeah. And, and you think, you know, we talked about training day. What would be the next step for Hoyt after the credits roll? What's the next step for Keating? Shit, he probably goes back to London where everybody is free from conformity. Or at least that's where he was for however many years. Right. He goes back to see his wife, right? And, he, and you know, he probably or he stays in the States and he finds a school that's not so damn rigid. He doesn't. To him, it's not a lesson that needs to be learned. If anything, it solidifies the fact that this is why kids need to be need to grow this is why you can't ham ham, hang you know chain down a child let them learn let them become themselves this is what i've been teaching from day one and this proves that i was a good teacher at it yeah so if anything it solidifies who he already was yeah although he was fired he he did get the gratification of seeing that he did have an effect on these boys. He yeah. succeeded in exactly yeah. on what he wanted, what he set out from day one. If you watch their very first class, yep. he takes them out of the class and takes them down to show them all those pre- – and he says, make your lives extraordinary. Yeah. Right? That's the lesson from the first time we see him teach, and it's and it comes to fruition in the final scene. Yeah. Good analysis, man. <laughs> I, I had a, that movie. I had a hard time conceding on this one just because well, I love Robin Williams' character so much. And that whole overarching theme of, you know, he was the lead protagonist when it came to the battle of the of the. But world isn't he used. kind of like Obi-Wan? Yeah, I know. So. And, and Ethan Hawke is like Luke, right? It's, <laughs> I mean, if you think about it from that point of view, yeah. and remember, so here's why I wanted to talk about, I'm not going to do a deep dive analysis, but Goodwill Hunting is similar in this aspect, that it came out almost 10 years later. Mm-hmm. And Robin Williams is no longer the lead now. He's the supporting role. In fact, he wins Best Supporting Actor for Goodwill Hunting. Right. It's almost the same movie in a sense of he's trying to draw out the insides of somebody who's trying to keep their insides down. Right, right. right yeah. Matt Damon's character is trying to bury who he truly is inside, yep. right? He's trying to bury it down, and Robin Williams is trying to bring it out. Right. And that's what he does with Ethan Hawke. The difference 10 years later is Robin Williams isn't the lead. He is the supporting role and justfully wins Best Supporting Actor. I think Dead Poets Society, he's also the supporting role, but because he was Robin Williams and Ethan Hawke was on his only his second film after <laughs> Explorers, which was four years earlier, he hadn't done shit in that time. Yeah. And, you know, that's why Ethan Hawke's not going to get the lead. In fact, another interesting note, Ethan Hawke's not even the second build. 
Robert yeah. Sean Leonard is. He's the third build. The yeah. third. Ethan Hawke gets no love. He's the third build, <laughs> and it's his film. Ethan Hawke, if you ever hear this, you are the lead, my friend. Yes. You are the lead in Dead Poets Society, and you are the lead in Training Day. You should have got above the title on both of those. You should have got above Robin and above Denzel on both of those posters. But, of course, alas, that would never happen to producers. They would never allow that. Yeah. And you, sir, or have been have... like, who's this kid? <laughs> <laughs> you, sir, have been screwed because you are the best actor. You are the lead in those. And and they're your films and they were robbed of you. And hopefully, thankfully, people like me can see your greatness as the lead in both of these films. And I know that the screenwriters somewhere are saying, yes, of course, finally somebody gets it. But that that's my that's why I wanted to do an Ethan Hawke day to show my love and appreciation for the guy that keeps getting noted as a supporting role in films that are obviously his. Yeah. Yep. So, well done. So, you want to jump to six degrees? Wait, before we get to that. So, there's another interesting element. I took down a lot of notes. This solidified my argument as I was watching Dead Poets Society for probably the millionth time in preparation for this show. Why I, I, led to, I was led to believe... Because I was battling in that second half. I'm like, man, there's a lot to do about Knox and the girl. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with Ethan Hawke. There's a lot about, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of focus on Dalton and Meeks and Cameron. And I'm like, and then it dawned on me, wait a minute. Something happened that made me think, wait a second. This is an element here. There's an element I'm missing, and I, and I, I think I'm picking it up. That all these boys are part of Ethan Hawke's personality. And you know why he is the mixture of all of those people mixed into one. You know how I finally, how it finally dawned on me? Hmm. It occurred to me that chemistry is in the background of every one of these scenes. So, hmm. and I wrote that, I went back to look. The chemistry book makes several appearances. In Todd's Seize the Day moment, it's, in, it's, it's where he's sitting at his desk and he writes Seize the Day on the notebook. Hmm. His chemistry book is right there in plain view. It's the only side binding you can read. There's a stack of textbooks, but the chemistry one is a big red book. Cameron says that he, when everybody's running around the room, yeah. when Neil says, oh, he's writing poetry, and they start running around, you know, and they're throwing the notebook back and forth. Cameron comes in and says, I need to study my chemistry. What are you guys doing? Yeah. The chemistry book is in Neil's desk after he died. And Robin Williams sits down and he opens his desk and he pulls out that book with the notation from Thoreau. Right. About going to the woods because I wanted to live deliberately. When he pulls the book, the chemistry book is there <laughs> in his desk. And at the end, when Dalton punches Cameron, he's late to that meeting. And he said, oh, look who finally showed up. And what does Dalton say? I was studying for my chemistry exam. <laughs> so chemistry is makes several points throughout mentions. And it started to dawn on me that this is a theme. Mm. That either Peter Weir did this on purpose or it was in the script. But... It, there's a theme here that all the boys in this group, the Dead Poets Society, chemistry is it's mixing all these personalities They're into all one. elements in his personality. They're all elements in Ethan Hawke's personality. And that's, that's why we cool. take the time in the second half of the film <laughs> to 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 delve you know, to delve off and, and talk about each one of these different personalities because they're all part of Ethan Hawke in the yeah. end. Yeah. I mean So if you haven't seen Dead Poets Society, folks, see it. Honestly, one of my all-time favorites. 
Honestly, yeah, it's, it's, it's up there. It's great. And like I said, they should teach this script in film school. Now, when I went to film school, the obvious ones were Witness and Tootsie and African Queen. And of course, Star Wars was mentioned a lot in the hero journey, right? So when you're right. writing screenplays, those are the, the, the ones I mentioned, particularly Witness and Tootsie and African Queen about great, solid three-act structures, right? And they teach those in, in the film school when I was in school. They really should teach Dead Poets Society because yeah. it's so it's so perfect as far maybe as character they do development. Now. Who knows? Maybe if they don't, maybe they, they should. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So, six degrees. All right, what do you got? So I I just when you asked me what two actors we should try to connect, I just I was like, Well, I, I thought about it and I just came up with the two actors that die in the movies. In both movies. Okay. So, what was it? It was... Well, Neil. Yeah, Robert so, Sean Leonard. Robert Sean Leonard. And then Scott Glenn in so, the other one. So, for the record, for anyone listening, this was thrown together right at the last minute. That was <laughs> zero prep. The good news is that the two people you picked... Now, we have a rule, too, that if we're discussing two movies, we generally can't use those movies. Yeah, because, And we can't use the person we're talking yeah, about, yeah, right? Ethan so, Hawke's in both of them. Right, so I can't use Ethan Hawke, because obviously I could say, oh, well, Ethan Hawke. Well, there right. you go. So, I can't use Ethan Hawke, and I can't use either film. But this was still relatively easy because Robert Sean Leonard from the late 80s, early 90s was in a lot of movies. Yeah. And particularly Much Ado About Nothing, which was a Shakespeare movie that Kenneth Branagh did, which is ironic because of Dead Poets Society, right? Where he yeah. plays Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream. Much Ado About Nothing had Emma Thompson in it. Emma Thompson, as you know, is in Remains of the Day with Anthony Hopkins. And that's the third connection is Silence of the Lambs. Anthony Hopkins and Scott Glenn were both in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, um, I knew it. If I, I, I figured it probably would be. I just when you said Scott Glenn, the first thing I thought of was Silence of the Lambs because yeah. even though the dude's got a huge career, he's been in a million movies. <laughs> when I hear Scott Glenn, I yeah. think so. just about anybody that's in Silence of the Lambs, that's what I think of when I hear their I name. I should have so, I should have went more obscure because those those he he's a big name. But, but again, but again, as we've talked about, that's three degrees. Much ado about nothing. Remains of the day. Silence of the Lambs. It could probably be done in less if you really dig deep because Scott Glenn's been in so many movies. <laughs> you could They're probably in a movie together, for crying out loud, that we don't even know about. You know what I mean? Or that I'm not even thinking about. If you take the time, I bet you it could be done in less. You know what I mean? And again, the point of this game isn't to stump me. It's to see if there are two people that cannot be connected. Yeah. And and you, you picked two fairly easy ones, but that's because we rushed it. <laughs> we rushed it in time for the show. Yeah. But yeah, man, Ethan Hawk finally getting some love. Yep. Ethan, if you ever hear this, we love you. <laughs> and we think you're the lead in every movie you're ever in. Despite what producers put on the poster. Well, that does it for this episode of the Silver Screen Happy Hour. I want to thank you for listening, and I want to thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you did, that probably means you really are enjoying hearing our banter back and forth. We would really appreciate if you would share this with your movie-loving friends. Give us a, a review wherever you're listening, and we'd love to hear from you. So please get in touch with us. The easiest way would probably be through Instagram, our Instagram page, Silver Screen Happy Hour. You can send us a voice memo on there. We'd love to hear from you. You can also email us at silverscreenhappyhour at gmail.com. So, yeah, until next time, enjoy some movies and cheers. <laughs>